Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 353, what do Joe and Big Al think of the buy, borrow, die strategy of the uber wealthy? And how could it work on a smaller scale? What happens to the income stacking for capital gains if Roth conversions are done in the same year? Does contributing to a non-deductible IRA make more sense than post-tax contributions to a brokerage account given ordinary income tax versus capital gains tax? Also, how to minimize the tax when a trust is the beneficiary of your TSP? Estimating Social Security for a future salary of zero? And why delay Social Security to age 70 if you don't need the money? Finally, is it bad etiquette to ghost a financial advisor? And should you hire an advisor near you? Click Ask Joe and Al on air at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to send in your money questions and comments. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, hi again, Pure Financial Crew. It's M from sunny Florida. Uh, recently read an article discussing buy, borrow, die strategy of uber wealthy, and we'd love to hear your spitball discussion. Essentially, one amasses a lot of capital takes a comparatively small securities baseline of credit against the capital with very low interest rate rather than sell the capital stocks and paying their taxes. At death, the assets get a step up in basis when inheriting by heirs. Wondering about how this strategy works on a smaller scale. I was thinking maybe $10 million in a brokerage account in borrow, borrowing. It's just b- borrowing. 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 $250,000 a year. Uh, goal is low interest uh, near 1%, assuming the return on investment will be at least four. Uh, you are numbers, guys. Uh, when do the numbers make sense? Can you borrow as much as 3%? Is $5 million enough to borrow hundred k a year? Downside? Thanks, M. Well, instead of selling and paying capital gains tax, why don't I just take a note? Right. Borrow. Get, get a margin loan, mm-hmm. right? And use that. And that can work, right? Because a, a loan is not income. And you still and you haven't sold the stock, right? So the so the downsides margin interest can go up, right? It's pretty low right now. It can go up. Uh, second downside is if you end up borrowing too much and we have another stock market collapse like we did in the Great Recession, you could be forced to sell stocks. You could lose everything to, to pay off quickly. that margin loan. It's it's leverage. You're it's a double edged sword, right? So you're looking at you're pledging your investments. Right? So your investments are not in cash. You want to keep those invested and you don't want to sell those investments because you didn't want to pay the tax. Sure. So you're going to keep that invested and then you're going to take a loan or take a margin loan from that. Yeah. And you're pledged against that overall investment. Sure. And so there's a certain you know threshold that yeah. they're going to say, hey. A certain ratio they want, the value of the stock versus what you borrowed. And if it gets too low, they're going to, they're going to force you to sell the stocks while they're down. It's called a margin call. <laughs> Correct. There's a movie called Margin <laughs> Call when everyone goes bust. Right. Um, so the uber wealthy. So, uh, you know, to, to some degree, here's the pro. You're not paying tax, let's yeah. say at 15, 25 or, you know, 15, 20% plus the net investment income tax or things like that. You could save money there. Um, and, and if you're doing two or 3% per year and then out maybe, of the total balance yeah, of your. Right. And maybe you cap it at 15 or 20% just to be ultra safe. And as long as you can afford those interest payments. Yeah. I mean, it could work. Yeah. Um, but any kind of borrowing, any kind of borrowing, there's risk. So just be aware of that. Right. It's, it's like taking money, you know, from your home and buying another home. Right. Right. And then you buy another home. It works buying- great. As long as 
Homes appreciate. <laughs> right. Um, so the, you know, your portfolio's got to continue to grow. Um, maybe if you want to take out more, but if you got 10 million, you're, you're taking two and a half percent out, um, per year. Yeah. I don't know. You know, that's two and a half percent. How, when do you start this thing and when do you stop? Well, it? I think you have to have a game plan. Maybe you stop it at, like I said, 15 or 20%. And, yeah. So and that's no a, more. That's a you know a handful of years. Right. It's not it's a really not, good. It's not forever. No, it's not a good withdrawal strategy at all for long term. There is. You could do a charitable remainder trust. So that's where you set up a trust. It's tax exempt. You put the stock in. The trust sells the stock. But then, and, the, the, but, but this strategy, the, when you die, everything goes to the heirs. That's true. So so, but let me finish. So so then, when you take when you have get distributions for life, so you get a lot higher cash flow. But it goes to charity when you pass away. So what you have to do is do a, an, an income replacement, if you will, an estate replacement by buying life insurance. So that's what some people do. Yeah. But the strategy is called buy, borrow, and die. Yeah. So you buy securities, you let it grow, then you borrow against them. And then when you die, yeah. the kids or the heirs or whoever gets the money does not have to pay tax because of the step up in yeah. um, cost basis. So from a theoretical standpoint, it works. Yeah, but from a practical standpoint, I, I think it's a terrible idea. I, I probably would not do it myself. Um, because let's say you got $10 million. Now you're taking $250,000 note per year. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden now it's one million. Then you're it's a two million dollar note, three million. You're gonna have to note, stop four million it, dollar note, so, but, yeah. right? And then now you have this big note on your 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 brokerage account, right. and then you need more income. And then now you start taking distributions, and then the market crashes, and then right. everything goes sideways. I don't know. It's pretty risky. You, you got a five million dollar note, and the mar- your ten million goes down to to five million. You're gonna have to sell that margin call to pay it off, and then you got zero left. Yep. So that's not so good. Plus you have all taxes on the on what you sold because you had a lot of game. This is a question for your weekly podcast. Hi, Andy, Joe, and Big Al. I've been listening to your information and entertaining podcast for the past year. I'm not sure that I've heard this exact question. So I thought I would give it a shot at getting this question. Uh, and it's answered on the air. Okay. Well, here you go, Jerry. It's your lucky day. <laughs> Uh, let's assume a married couple has retired and their only income is from their brokerage account consisting of $35,000 in qualified dividends, $25,000 in interest in non-qualified dividends. Additionally, they have $50,000 in long-term capital gains from their brokerage account that can be managed annually. The math is pretty straightforward to determine the amount of taxes owed and how much of the long-term capital gains are taxed at zero versus 15. Yeah, math is pretty clear. Jerry, he's he's a CPA on the side or something. Yeah, he, uh, he may be an advisor, and this is his client. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, he's got qualified, non-qualified dividends. I mean, no one knows the difference between a qualified <laughs> dividend and a non-qualified dividend, well, and especially how a non-qualified dividend's taxed. Plus, when it starts with, let's assume a married couple, <laughs> meaning I, I've got a client. Jerry, yeah, I'm a client. <laughs> Um, if this is their tax return, it's the math is pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows this, but, um, but what, here's the question. What <laughs> oh boy. What happens to the income stacking for capital gains? If Roth conversions are also done in the same year, 
Can I assume that the Roth conversions are added to the 60K for qualified dividends, interest, and non-qualified dividends prior to the long-term capital gains? And therefore, if I do a Roth conversion of $100,000, that I'll not be able to take advantage of the long-term capital gains being taxed at 0%, giving the numbers above. Thanks in advance for your help, and thanks for YMYW Podcasts. Okay, Jerry. Yes, we've written Jerry's client or (laughs) Jerry's clients. Um, Yeah, if you did. So long-term capital gains sits on top of ordinary income. So a Roth conversion creates ordinary income. So the long-term capital gain would sit on top of that. And if you do $100,000, assuming no other income, if you do a $100,000 conversion minus the standard deduction of, let's say, $25,000, now you're at $75,000, okay? So you're right at the difference of $5,000 in the 12% tax bracket. So $5,000 would be tax-free, but you have non-qualified dividends (laughs) in interest (laughs) and others that is pushing you above that. So your long-term capital gains then now would be subject to tax. They would. And and so if I look at um, Jerry's numbers, income is about 110000 standard deduction being about 25000 so taxable income 85. So uh, then, Jerry, either you or your client is uh, now in the 22% bracket. So any Roth conversion is taxed at 22. But since Roth conversions come first, Ordinary income comes first, it fills up the lower brackets. And so therefore, you're not only going to have to pay ordinary income taxes on your Roth conversion, now all of a sudden you're going to have to pay 15% taxes on the capital gain. So just be aware of that. It's it's actually a different tax rate. You have to be careful when you have long-term capital gains that are taxed at zero. If you have enough Roth conversions to push it up, not only is that Roth conversion going to be taxed at 12%, but now that that um, uh, capital gain will be taxed at, at 15 Versus zero. Right. Versus zero. So now you're actually in a 27% bracket without realizing it. So, um, yeah, again, long-term capital gains sits on top. So you, anytime you're doing tax projections or calculating things for your client, Jerry, uh, <laughs> figure out your ordinary income first. Um, and then you put the capital gains on and, top. And here's your safest bet rather than asking us is get TurboTax and, and do one with and without and see what happens. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, thanks a lot for the question. We got uh, Alan. Uh, greetings, YMYW team. Long time listener, first time question. Oh, very cool. cute there, Alan. Um, I find your podcast both informative and funny. I live in sunny, new brand fuffles, Texas. <laughs> Where the hell is I believe it's new Braunfels. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds right. That that, sounds I wasn't even going to guess on that. Braunfels. One. New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, semi-retired chemical engineer, 58 years young, in driving 2013 Mazda 3 with a white cat named Yeti. Yeti. Wow. Oh, that's cool. All right. I have a living girlfriend named Kim who drinks Crown Royal. Oh, my God. That is... That's sexy. <laughs> um, while I'm a craft beer junkie, although I typically start the night with a domestic light beer like Coors Light uh, to get things going. Uh, don't worry. It's not a Roth conversion question, and I will try to be brief and concise. Okay. Uh, in the past, while working, I typically made too much salary to contribute to a Roth IRA or get the deduction for a regular IRA contribution. Therefore, I made annual contributions to a non-deductible IRA. 
And I've been keeping track of the basis so I don't pay taxes on the non-deductible contributions when I decide to start taking withdrawals. My question is, in general, does contributing to a non-deductible IRA make sense versus post-tax contributions to a brokerage account, given that the non-basis portion of the IRA will be taxed as income when I take the distribution versus only paying long-term capital gains on the money invested in a brokerage account? Seems like my money, um, my income tax rate will be lower than capital gains rate when I start withdrawing the money from the IRA. But who knows where the tax rates will be in 15 years? I understand that our friends in D.C. are looking to increase capital gains rate to equal the income tax rates, which would make this a moot question. Keep up the great work. P.S. I hope you are paying Andy well for producing and organizing the podcast and putting up with you guys. Wow. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Thanks did for thinking of that sentence, Andy. Or I did not. If you check your email, yeah. you will find that that was actually in the email from the from the listener. Nice. Yes. Yeah, we, the show won't be a show without. No, Andy. of course not. We're just hanging up. We, <laughs> <laughs> Are you just saying that because we're on camera now? No. Okay. Cool. Being very honest. I well, love thank you. you. I love you too, Joe. Um. So question is non-deductible IRA contributions. Right. So a, a few things. I think before when you had tax, like a, like a lot of tax drag on non-qualified accounts. So there would be turnover and things like that. So when, like when I got in the business in the, um, I think 1999, right, you would sell loaded mutual funds and they're all high Turnover actively managed act, funds. Active funds, right? Right. So, which, which means inside the fund, the ma- the fund manager is buying and selling all the time to try to get a better, better stock. Yeah, yeah better rate of return. Yeah. And then because they're buying and selling, you would have tax distributions from the actively managed fund. So even if you didn't take money out, even if you didn't take money out, right? Because they're buying and selling, and then that tax consequence goes to the the owner of the fund, right? And so there was, um, so. I would probably say, you know what, going tax deferred in, in an IRA, taking an, a non-deductible IRA contribution, and then getting ordinary income, if you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement, you take the basis out tax-free, and then you get the tax deferment. So there's no tax drag at all on the growth, right? So if, you, if you're taking a couple of bucks out of the account each year, it hurts the compounding effect of tax deferred, right? Sure. So that's why tax deferral works so well. I would say today it's completely different if you have a good tax management system. And what I mean by that is that if you have tax managed funds like ETFs or index funds that have very little turnover, very little fees, you're not going to have a lot of tax drag there. Yeah. That are passive, not active. Right. I I would agree with you. And I, and I think especially at age 58, I think uh, I don't really want to have the the basis inside of an IRA because all the future growth is ordinary income versus what it could have been as capital gain. Absolutely. Capital gains is going to be a lot cheaper than ordinary income, because if you're in the 10 or 15% tax bracket or 10 or 12% tax bracket, there is no capital gain. So if you keep yeah. yourself in a low bracket, you could sell some of that and not pay any tax at all, which is you know yeah. ideal. And as throughout my whole career, except for maybe a year or two, capital gains are always cheaper tax-wise than ordinary income. But Alan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a look at the basis and how much basis that you have, and you convert some of that IRA, because the if I convert 
dollars that have basis, I don't pay tax on that. So you could get a lot of this money into a Roth IRA at a lot cheaper tax cost because you're not going to pay any tax on the basis of what you have in an IRA. So a conversion strategy is probably the best way to go right now. And then that extra cash that you have, you pay some of the tax. And then moving forward, I would not put money into a non-deductible IRA. I would put it in a brokerage account. Yeah, but be aware of the aggregation rules and pro rata rules. How much money do you need in retirement? And how does your retirement account balance stack up right now? What's your contribution rate? How much of your portfolio should be in cash? Are your assets properly allocated? Learn how to answer these questions and find out how to manage your assets at any age with our new portfolio tracker guide available for free download from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or click get an assessment also there in the podcast show notes to schedule a comprehensive one-on-one assessment of your financial plan with one of the experienced professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. There's no cost and no obligation and it's a video call so you can get your free financial assessment from the comfort of your own home no matter where that might be. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes, download the portfolio tracker guide and schedule your free financial assessment. Okay, let's let's go to Jim. Hello, YMYW crew. My parents, 77, have an irrevocable tr- trust, which is the beneficiary of my dad's TSP account. This is a pre-tax TSP as the Roth was not available to him when he was working. The trust has been set up for the eight grandchildren ranging from age one to 16. The trust is set up to pay at predetermined ages. My understanding that this is a discretionary trust. Additionally, my understanding is that this money will be taxed at the highest marginal trust tax rate after roughly $13,000 in income. Is this true? Besides converting the TSP to a Roth, what else can be done to minimize the taxes? Thank you, Jim. Um, okay, is is Dad alive or is he? Yeah. He's like my parents, seventy seven. So I don't think yeah. he's deceased. No, Dad's still around. It, and Dad could. Why don't change convert. the better? But what? I wonder if he can change the beneficiary. Sure. But, but why the, would but he name the benefit? The reason he did the trust was because he didn't want the young kids to spend to, the money, to spend the money, which is fine. Now it has to be the right kind of trust, which you can go into if you want. Um, <laughs> I would change. Okay. So here's the issue now with trusts um, being the beneficiary of an IRA. Okay. Yep. So Jim's dad set up the account. And it's in the TSP, and he's like, "Okay, I got eight grandchildren. I want the grandchildren to have the money in the tr- in my TSP account. Sure. Where I'm not going to spend it, and so it'll be a nice little inheritance for them. Right. But I'm sure in the trust, he said, "Okay, well, you know, Johnny, he he doesn't get anything until age 25. Susie, you don't get anything until age 21 because you're a lot more responsible, and so on and so forth, right? Right." Because that's why you would set up a trust in the first place. It's just control of the overall cash Correct. at your passing. Yeah. T- typically, we don't recommend a trust would be a beneficiary, but this would be a case where it could make sense. But I, w- I think it blows it up because now, A, you have an issue with the SECURE Act because the money has to come out within 10 years. Right. Right? True. So then there's two different types of trust that you set up. But, so, it, but it comes out to the trust. 
not to the individual. But then it it holds in trust. It does. Right. So if you hold in trust, you get tr- trust tax rates. Yeah, that's the problem. The problem this. is, is that the thing is going to get forced down in ten years, and so maybe he want he's got grandchildren, ages one through eight, or right, and maybe he wants to hold this thing in trust for in perpetuity. Right. The money's going to come out of the retirement account and going to be taxed at trust tax rates because yes. he's holding it in trust. Correct. Versus distributing it out to the kids. Make right. sense? Yes, I understand. So it doesn't make any sense to have this type of trust in a retirement account because anything after 13000 it's taxed at 37%. That is and correct. And the grandkids' tax rate is zero. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, so so perhaps a better choice would be a, a, a an account where the parent, Atma, I guess is the name, right? Unified something, something. <laughs> Uniform Transfer to Minors Act? <laughs> <laughs> or uniform gift to minors act i don't know utman ugma yeah um so that's where the parent and the child have are on the account and the child doesn't really have access till age 18 here's what jim needs to tell his dad is to find another asset that he could give the gra- grandchildren i don't know how big the tsp is right um and i don't know what the the, the inheritance is going to be but trying to do this with a retirement account is not a good way to go. If yeah. he's got a home that he's that that you're going to sell, right? And then let's say his TSP is worth, I don't know, call it five hundred thousand dollars. Just making it up, um, five hundred thousand um, divided by eight equals sixty-two thousand dollars per grandchild. Sure. Okay. So maybe he has another asset, like his house or a brokerage or, account or, or, whatever. or whatever it is. Right, and then maybe his house is worth five hundred thousand in the trust. Then say, okay, we'll split that up at the sale of the house. The kids get this cash is now held in this trust. You can invest the money as you'd like. Right, it, it, it's a lot easier to do it that way. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, and and the reason is because the stretch IRA is no is longer gone, is gone because everything is going to be distributed out. Although the stretch IRA doesn't apply if you're under 18. So maybe it would work. Maybe. Thinking about that. Yeah. I don't know. I would have to look at the provisions in the trust. Did he set it up as an IRA trust? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, because a, that's you a got, whole other yeah, point. You got to look through see through trust. There's a lot of things that you got to do with the trust. And um, it can work. But if you look now today, because of how the law changed, um, a trust, an irrevocable trust, um, holding things in trust um, from a retirement account. That there's problems. There, there, there could be some issues. There's yeah. pros to it, sure. right? You can control the money and it's, you know, safe from creditors. And wasn't that that one advisors or that attorney's big deal? Yes. Right? They it would was. just scare the hell out of you. It's like <laughs> your kids are going to do this and your money's going to be gone because they're going to get sued. And you're like, oh, God, I got to get this yeah. trust. How yeah. much is it? 30 grand? He was, he was, he was pretty convincing. <laughs> Sounds cheap versus the 50 <laughs> all, million. All I'm those, get yeah, sued those for. lawsuits, right? You got Coco. <laughs> no, it's Coo. Coo. Oh. oh. Coo. Okay. Sounds cool. Uh, hi, Joe and Al. I love your show and recommend it to anyone that will listen it, uh, listen to it with me. <laughs> oh, cool. What are you doing to these poor folks? <laughs> I recall some questions recently on your podcast asking how to project future social security earnings. I assume this is an estimate future expense for retirement calculations. I stumbled on this calculator on SSA.gov that may help. 
Here's a screenshot assuming future and annual salary. Yeah, so on the screenshot, it's saying that full retirement age, which is about 67, it's 3,300. It's taking it early at 62 is 2,300. If you wait till 70, it's about 4,100. Okay, you can change the future annual salary to zero. This would be a conservative way to calculate what you would earn if you wanted to retire prior to retirement age. This may be conservative, but gives a good idea what you can plan for. Uh, keep up the good work. I drive a 2009 Prius uh, Rainier in bottles. Oh, that's like um, Washington beer. Wow, oh, I it? suppose. Rainier? Yeah, yeah, Mount Rainier, sure. Uh, pet, wife has a cat. Full transparency. This is how I'm projecting my social security and hope it's accurate. Hopefully you can confirm or deny. Thanks. Coo. Uh, pronounced coo as in cuckoo clock. Oh. K-Y-U-Coo. Okay, That's kind of a cool name. So the uh, so this, this sorry for uh, calling you Coco. Cool. Yeah. Well it's a it's easy mistake. Well, C-O-C- I thought it said C-O-C-O on it. Yeah. Well, if you look at it quickly. Yes. So this is a, a calculator on ssa.gov. And yeah, Koo, you're right. I mean, you can put in, apparently they, they allow you at, at your current age to put in zero for your salary. And then the numbers go down. So now at full retirement age, it's 2,800 compared to 3,300. So yeah, this is pretty good. This only works though, if you're going to retire and not get any pay right now. You can't really, it's, it's not sophisticated enough to say, I'm going to retire in five years. So I'm going to put zero in at that point. Right. There are calculators that you can buy that do that. But anyway, so th- this, I, I concur. I think this probably works as long as your salary is going to be zero starting today. And uh, what, what's the total delta on this? Um, what, 3,300 versus 2,800, right? Yeah. For, uh, for, for, for retirement for, age. For retirement age, yeah. Oh. And at age 70, 4,100 to 3,500. Okay. So it's significant that's per month. So yeah. And then, and, and so your point is well taken. We've talked about this because people have their social security statement they think is going to be what they're going to get. And they retired age 50 and then they're surprised at age 70. This is way lower than I thought. Right. Well, that's because it's assuming you continue at your same salary all the way to the point where you retire. Correct. So, um, or to your full retirement age. Full, but even, even after that, if you're, if you're having higher income years there versus the first year. So here's another point too. Let's say if you are collect your social security at full retirement age and you're still working, um, your social security will continue to go up True. as well. So they're going to recalculate it. So it'll never go down. Let's say if you, if you continue to work, but have lower income, yep. um, that's all good. Okay. Let's go. Uh, dear DJ. Dynamic Joe or Dynamite Joe. I don't know which one I like better. Well, DJ is the short, the abbreviation. I don't know if I like dynamic or dynamite. Well, he said dynamite. So I think you're stuck with that. Okay. uh, BA and AA, Big Allen. Awesome, Andy. A big thank you for spitballing my $10 million question in episode 347. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> it seemed like it was just yesterday. Just yesterday. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed your analysis, uh, maybe because it reinforced my own assessment. Just kidding. Uh, the analysis was thoughtful and covered all variables. If you would indulge me, I would like to answer Big Al's question. How did you respond during the recession in 2008? Okay, so he's 
saying, hey, I didn't liquidate any positions. Right. Monthly savings were invested in cash and not stocks. Bad move and added a few positions that were attractive. Good move. Uh, you also had to, you also had a valid point about spouse's risk level. Um, in my case, she is not interested and leaves all the investing to me uh, and knows if $9 million becomes $4.5 million, we still have enough. Okay. Uh, my question. Okay. So financial advisors recommend delaying social security uh, payments until age 70, if you can afford it. However, based on my analysis, I find assuming a 0% return, the break even between taking social security at full retirement or 70 years is approximately 84 years. However, if one invests these payments at 4% per year, the break even turns to 92 Getting a rate of return greater than 4% pushes the break even even further out. Intuitively, it makes sense. The sooner you take Social Security, compounding, increasing the value exponentially, thus extending the break even, period. You know what he's doing here, Big Al. Yep. <laughs> so why do financial planners recommend delaying Social Security if the funds are not needed for the day-to-day -day living? I would agree with their delayed a 70 years recommendation if one lived to be 98 or more, but why take that chance? Yeah. Okay. FYI, I did not consider survivor benefits in my calculation. Hopefully one spouse follows the other through the pearly gates within a few years of the departed. This guy lives in fantasy land. <laughs> oh, it's Sunny D. Apparently that's what Florida is, fantasy well, land. Your thoughts, not advice, would be greatly appreciated. FYI, I've recommended your Money or Well podcast to my What's Up group. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> uh, they love the information, dialogue, analysis, and your in-depth knowledge. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Avid listener and admirer, Sunny D, very much a male. When you were spitballing my $10 million question, there seemed to be a doubt. Oh. Mm. Mm. Sunny D. Well, we know now. No, I guess you're a male. Thank you, Sonny <laughs> D. So, okay, Sonny D's got $10 million. So what is he doing? He's looking at Social Security as an investment. Right. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to invest in. I'm going to get a 4% rate of return, and then the break-even of how much I actually get out of this thing is going to be a lot greater if I get the money today versus pushing it off till age 70. Sure. Financial advisors look at it differently. Well, at least Al and I do. We look at it as an income stream, a guaranteed income stream. Most people don't have $10 million, right? Sure. So they need every last penny. And a lot of times people spend a little bit more than they should, or they know what they should be spending. So to have a larger fixed guaranteed income for the rest of their lives is probably a better move, uh, move than taking it and taking on risk and investing it. And the key is for most people. For most. Because most people spend everything they make. And that's just across the board. I mean, that's what we've seen. And I don't think that's changing for most people. Now, Sonny, your analysis, I haven't checked it out that carefully, but it sounds right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, we've done the, the I, break I, even. I, and... I mean, I think you can, I think you can sort of game the system and end up in a better spot. Although you do mention that survivor benefits wasn't considered. And that could change it if your spouse feels differently about all this. Um, but uh, yeah, it, as long as you truly don't need the money and are not going to spend it, which it sounds like you're in that position. Then take it yeah, and invest it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, because you're absolutely right. You'll probably make 
more money or at the end of the day, it probably the, the total lump sum of everything that you get would probably be worth more if you delayed. Right. But that's why most advisors recommend taking it later because most people spend the income they have. It's just a, it's a higher income floor that is really all it is. Um, but if, if they don't need it and they want to invest it, then yeah, by all means, I think your analysis is right on. Yep. Um, couple of other things I want you to do, Sonny, since your wife doesn't really care about this. Yeah. If your 10 million goes to five, yeah, have, you, like, have you asked her that yeah, question? I want you to show her your <laughs> statements. Okay. And then say, Hey, this is what we got. Yeah. If it goes in half, I'm sure you're okay with yeah, that. Right. I want you to take a picture and she's going to be smiling and she's going to be, Oh, Sonny D. I love you so much. You are such a good investor. You are my hero. And right. then when your account goes to 5 million or 4 million or 3 million, then show her the statement and take that picture and send it to us she's gonna be freaked out she's like what the hell did you do i can remember many meetings we've had with spouses where the husband took some risk and lost a lot of money and it was 10 years ago and the spouse <laughs> it still brings still, it up still still it, and it's it's a big deal it's a huge huge deal of course oh, they're not interested in this they're, they're not interested when it goes up <laughs> When it goes down, they're definitely interested. They're very interested. They're very interested. You know, with over 2,700 rules around claiming Social Security, reading our Social Security handbook before you claim would be a good idea. It'll walk you through who's eligible, how benefits are calculated, the difference between collecting benefits early versus late, working while taking Social Security, and the rules around spousal, ex-spousal, and survivor benefits, plus how your Social Security is taxed. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to visit the show notes and download the Social Security handbook. Yours free from Pure Financial Advisors and your money, your wealth. You can repay us simply by spreading the love around. Share the YMYW podcast and the resources with your friends and colleagues via email or LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. And we thank you. Uh, okay, let's go with, hello, Joe, Alan, Andy. This is Mike from Tucson, Arizona. My question is on financial professional um, etiquette. etiquette. My mom has... Did I say that? Etiquette. 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 What did I say? Etiquette. You said etiquette. Yeah. Well, well, that was close. It's not that big a deal. You've done much worse. Etiquette. 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 Okay. By the way, Mike is actually the guy who called us last time. Do you remember in in a recent episode, we had a call from Mike from Tucson, Arizona. So I believe this is a follow-up from Mike. Okay. You know, you're going to say what's proper etiquette, not being interrupted. Yeah, not being interrupted. (laughs) I don't know how to say etiquette. Uh, my mom has been with uh, an advisor for about five years and is paying an AUM fee of 1.5% on a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA that he manages. Cool. She has not made any, yeah, I know. She has not made any changes to her portfolio in years and will not begin drawing from this account until retirement. I have agreed to help my mom manage her finances in retirement. And for simplicity, we have started to consolidate all of our accounts at Vanguard, with the exception of the two mentioned above that are managed by the advisor. Uh, My question, is it professional courtesy to let the advisor know that I plan to move the money? Or do I just move it? Um, Is the finance version of ghosting common in this space, or am I just being rude? Ghosting. That's a good term. It's just going to ghost you. The advisor that, quotes <laughs> manages my mom's money. Right. 
Okay, that's number number, one. T- number two. Yep. Another procedural question is that her Roth IRA funds, uh, which are various Russell Equity Mutual funds, will not transfer to the new brokerage firm. Do you typically recommend your clients to move into cash so that it can be transferred, or would it be better to buy a total stock market index so as to not be out of the market for a few weeks? Uh, it may take for the transfer. Thank you for your outstanding podcast, and I look forward to your response. All right, Mike from Tucson. It's going to take over the management of mom's money. Yeah. So you, do you just leave, or do you just, just ghost them? Do, do you let the advisor know? Um, it's here's a proper etiquette. Um, etiquette. I would call the guy, you know, and just say, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm taking over my mom's account. Uh, we're consolidating." Um, can you do me a favor and liquidate a couple of these uh, mutual funds? I wouldn't have the guy buy them. Yeah. You know, just say, hey, change the allocation for me so I can transfer it out. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily do that because now he's got, you know, yeah. just say, hey, we're transferring these out. Can you just please put these Russell, um, can you p- put the Russell accounts into cash? Yeah. Keep everything else. You can transfer the stuff in kind. And then when, once it gets to Vanguard, then you can sell and, and, and buy and do whatever you want. But he's saying Vanguard doesn't accept the Russell equity. I know. That's why I would say sell them. Yeah. Sell I would, them I would, so Al's the advisor. I'm Mike. Yeah. We'll role play. Okay. Hey, Al. <laughs> this is Mike. Hey, Mike. You haven't called me in a long time. What's up? Yeah, my mom. Um, you know, you manage her accounts and you haven't really done anything. I've done a lot. <laughs> I look at this account. I think about it every night, Mike. <laughs> so the, the problem with calling Mike is that he might sell you. Oh, what are you talking about? Look at the performance on this thing. Oh, and we're rebalancing and we're doing all this other stuff, right? Sure. Um, and he's going to try to secure the account. If you don't want to deal the stuff, if you don't want to deal with Mike, just ghost him. Yeah. So I would say it's common. Yes. <laughs> it's common to ghost the advisor. You don't have to talk to him. If you want to, if you feel like there's a long-term relationship and there, there's a friendship or at least a strong acquaintance and you then sure, by all means, go ahead. But I agree with you, Joe. A lot of times when you do that, they really, they strong arm you and try to talk you out of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think for the most part, like if if you, if you fired me, Mike, I'd be like, hey, Mike, no problem at all. No, you know, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm going to place the trades right now. We'll get that in cash. Right. If you need help, a cat this out. I get it. You want to save some money in fees. You're a big fan of your money or wealth. You probably know what the hell you're doing. But not all advisors are as kind as you. I know. Well, I like the question, though, because he's yeah. thoughtful. He's like, hey, I don't want to yeah. ghost this guy. Yeah, right. So I, just place the call, Mike. It, it won't be that bad. Yeah, I agree. Um, and if you need help, I'll call him. Oh boy, that that'll be an interesting phone call. I'm getting the host of Your Money, Your Wealth to call you to fire you. Um, I got hi. I've listened to your podcast YMYW for a couple of years now. It's both informative and entertaining. Thanks for hosting the show. Well, you're welcome. This is Marlian, by the way. Marlian. I was Marlian. Thanks. Don't they say love Marlian or? No, on this one, he just put in he or she. I'm not actually sure if Marlon is male or female. I'll just put their name in the name field. That's not Marlon. Nope. It says Marlon. Maybe Marlon misspelled their name. Maybe it actually is Marlon and they accidentally added an I. Marlon. Marlion. Marlion. <laughs> All right. Mar. Right. Um, okay. I'm 56, yo, and desire to retire at the end of 2025 when... I will be 60 and my wife will be 56. I think I'm in a good position while nothing 
that 85% of our 2.9 million in retirement accounts are tax deferred accounts, but needed detailed guidance on the decision as well as tax reducing withdrawal strategies in traditional to Roth conversions. Okay. That didn't really flow very well. Right. <laughs> I got a little lost. In that I, I did. Uh, my question, would it be wise to partner with a firm so far away from my current home in Nova? I believe that's Northern Virginia. Yeah, I do too. North Virginia. North yep. Virginia, Nova, um, i.e. pure FA, or should I use a firm closer to home? Um, a consideration, I may not be in the Nova area after retirement, but we'll probably be staying on the East Coast. Thanks in advance for your response. I think with technology today, you know, we've been doing client meetings on Zoom for the last two years. Yep. It, it's, it's, it's up to whoever's preference. You know, yeah, I, I, I think some people really like the face to face. Some people don't really care as long as they get really good advice. I, I think now with COVID, people, we're a lot more comfortable with Zoom meetings. And so are many other people. I, I, Marlon, it's uh, Mar- Marlon. <laughs> It's your choice, right? I, I mean, I think a firm like ours or anyone can now service remotely. It's not that big a deal, but some people like to have their advisor closer by. Sure. So, so that's up to you. I, I think the first choice in, in selecting an advisor is competency. I mean, are they going to be able to give you the advice that you want? You know, you, you did a good job of accumulating some wealth. Can you work with an advisor that can really give you the right advice that you need to make sure that you do all the right things, save money in tax, create the income that you need, coordinate everything with everything else? Sure. I mean, that's the first step. And then second, do you like the person? Right. And then third is probably, all right, do you, you want to shake their hand or, right. or is it okay just to wave goodbye? Crown Royal Drinking Habits, Florida, Joe's Golf Game versus Back Surgery, and Joe thinks I am her in the derails at the very end of the episode, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. I have a living girlfriend named Kim who drinks Crown Royal. Oh my God, that is... That's sexy. <laughs> she gets home from work. She's like, I'm having some Crown Royal. You know, I'm just a little Crown Royal on the rocks. You can have your beer, but I'm doing Crown Royal. Yeah. What do you want, a White Claw? No, I'm having a Crown Royal. <laughs> okay, honey, I'm going to have a little spritzer here. Um, while I'm a craft beer junkie, although I typically start the night with a domestic light beer like Coors Light uh, to get things going. Wow. I Perfect. Usually, He's got a little program. I usually do the opposite. I'll do one IPA and then I'll go, okay, that's probably enough. So then I switch to Coors Light. Now Alan just starts out slow and turns that knob. And <laughs> Maybe I should try that. Maybe it'll work better. <laughs> just have a couple Coors Lattes and then next, you know, a couple IPAs and then now you're down in Crown Royal. <laughs> Uh, it's like you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great routine. <laughs> we've got Sunny D in Florida, and now we've got M from Sunny Florida. It's getting confusing. Ooh, I've got <laughs> M and D from Sunny FLA. 
going to Florida. I know you are. Yeah, little golf tournament. Yes. Feel I should, good. I should say I had a sunny D and M feel, while I'm down there. You feel like your your golf game is where it needs to be. No, to not, be in a not, tournament? no, not even close. No, no, it's awful. It's so bad. It is <laughs> wretched. Um, but what the hell? But you know? you'll have fun anyway. Yeah, I had that back surgery, so slowly coming back. Sure. Getting. You better. don't have full range of motion, do you? No, not really. Yeah. yeah. And especially because I had foot drop on my left leg. And so, so you hit like an like an old guy? No, not at all. You know, no, I just so, come you, over the top. You still go for it? Oh yeah, I could still hit it, <laughs> but it's all over the place, and I sliced the hell out of it after. Got it. After that. But was it like that before, or is this just since surgery? A little bit of both. A little bit of both, Andy. Thank you for that. Okay. You're just chiming in there. It's just curious. Yeah. That was, yeah, an important question. Yes. Um, yeah, I can't really get my hips around. Right. I can see that. Okay. But you still swing at it yeah, with I mean, all your might. Sure. I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I got to slow it down. Yep. Be a little bit more patient. Right. Um, but yeah, short game's good. Putting's fine. Sure. Okay. Maybe his name is Marlon, and he just... <laughs> he was hanging out with what's his name's wife having a little yeah. uh, crown, crown royal, royal. Yeah, right. <laughs> on the rocks maybe just straight maybe up. just straight yeah just straight just down to the bottom um, after I just kind of made fun of Marlon and how he's saying his name and having crown royal I'm sure he's probably not gonna he's, he's got no interest in <laughs> he's using got us. no interest in <laughs> using a pure FA uh, <laughs> you've been doing this podcast on zoom for the past two years yeah, you're right. I, we haven't seen Andy physically yeah. for two years. I don't actually exist anymore. Yes, you're just. <laughs> I'm just in the digital space. It's, it's an avatar. Yeah, yeah you know, right. You know who you are, Andy. Is um, what's that movie with Joaquin Phoenix? Um, I don't know. Her, right? Isn't that the name of the movie? He no falls idea. In love, don't falls know in that. love with the the computer. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? I don't know. 